Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Though he was a mighty warrior, a man of valor, the New King James says, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. You know, what's interesting to me right here in the beginning of the story, you know, we've been talking the last several weeks. I've kind of just been focusing on this thought of kingdom discipleship, what it really takes to count the cost, to fully follow God in what he's called each of us to do. When you are a disciple, um, it's not just merely... Uh, one that believes in something. A lot of times we can attribute things to their lowest level of interest or their lowest level of investment, if you will. But being a disciple is not just saying, I believe in my heart or I've confessed or prayed a prayer of salvation. True discipleship is lived out. So it's a, a, a real faith and a real belief in your heart that is such a strong conviction in your life that it is produced in your behaviors, in your mission, in your goals, uh, in how I think, my ideals, my values conform, right? It's impossible to have uh, unbiblical values when you're in the kingdom of God. It, you, you, it's, it's not possible, guys. I know that we're living in a world that wants to blend the two, there's more compromise taking place, but anytime you compromise something, you have to uh, continue to take away from one thing and then add to it another. And when we come into the kingdom of God, it's, there's no compromise involved. God is saying, okay, I'll allow a little bit of that, or you can do this. Or, he's not saying those things. He's saying, I'm, you're going to have to abandon all of this to receive all of this and Abandoning all of that is well worth receiving all of this. Y'all with me? And so, you know, uh, th there are a lot of agendas and there are a lot of ideals that Christians say that they have today that cannot be found in Scripture, cannot be supported as a biblical pursuit or a biblical policy. Or a We just saw this, this last week. You know, honestly, a lot of these elections and a lot of these decisions for our leaders are based on decisions other than the economy and health care and how we go to war. You're finding a lot of these policies are being dictated on abortions. Come on. Uh, what we're teaching kids in schools. These are the things that are coming that, that are coming to the surface. Uh, what we're allowing, uh, who has rights and who doesn't. And guys, at the end of the day, some of these policies and some of these positions are not supported by biblical scripture. 
It's not. So there's got to be a full abandoning. There's got to be a full following. And so we've been talking about what does this real life of discipleship look like? If it's to be lived out, I, I, I know this, it takes more faith to put something into practice than it does just to keep it in my heart. Like I can believe God is a healer, but then when sickness tries to come on my body, guess what? Now I'm going to have to produce what I say I believe. And the contradiction that we have a lot today is we say we believe, we say we believe, we say we believe, but then when it comes time to produce something, when it comes time to live it out, when it comes time to put it into practice, when it comes time for that belief to yield some kind of result. Uh, you know, again, going back two years ago to the crisis, the pandemic year, the 2020 year, you don't know what you have until crisis shows up. It's easy to say, I believe God's word in comfort, but do you still believe God's word in crisis? Do you only believe God's word as long as the external aligns with the internal? Or do I believe God's word so strongly that I will cause the external to line up with what I believe in the internal? If it's out of alignment, I'll bring it into alignment. If it's sick, we'll heal it. If it's broke, we'll fix it and restore it. If it's blind, we'll restore sight. If it's deaf, we'll restore hearing, right? It, it, it's in those moments where faith is really produced. It's in the, Faith comes by hearing, but it grows by doing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, some of us are full of faith in the sense of hearing, but it just hasn't been strengthened. It hasn't been tempered. It hasn't been uh, in a place where it's been fortified, where you know for sure a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. So it's the testing of our faith that produces patience. It's the, it's the uh, you know, James chapter one, count it all joy when what? You fall into various trials. A lot of us live our lives like it reads, count it all joy when we come out of various trials. And he says, you count it joy when you go into it. That's a different level of faith. That's a different posture. I mean, the world gets happy when they come out of a problem. No faith is required when you see the miracle taking place. No faith is required when you see the water coming out of the rock. No faith is required when the, the, the seas are parted. It's, it's in that posture before that. I'm trapped. I got Pharaoh and his army on one side. I've got a Red Sea that I don't know how we're getting across on the other. It's in that moment that faith becomes fortified. It's in that moment that faith becomes strengthened. And so we've got a contradiction here. We've got a, a man that looks mighty. This I would equate to someone that he's got the capacity. He looks like he has it all together. Some of us can, can do church real well in the sense of religious activity. Some of us, we, we know the scriptures, man. We know where they're found. We've got, the not, we've got the notes. We've got the highlighters. We've got three different colors. We, 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 we've got the YouTube videos, and we've got the, the daily Bible verse devotion on our phones. and We've got all the stuff, but then there's this hidden thing on the inside. He's a mighty man of valor, a great and mighty warrior, but he has leprosy. Now, the great thing about Naaman's case is to be a mighty man of valor probably means he's wearing a lot of armor, which means what? He can cover 
a leprous disease. And sometimes we find natural means to cover when we're not really willing to walk out and exercise some faith. But we can put God on it, and we can make it, we, we, we know, you've heard the term Christianese. It's a language. I give you one. How are you doing today? Blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Blessed coming in, blessed going out. I am the head. We, we know the, the words, but where's the power? The power is the conviction. It comes in the conviction to stand and believe it in the midst of. In the midst of. Not in avoiding trials, but overcoming trials. That's the true life of discipleship. So we're trying to get this thing beyond just the belief. Just, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, I go to church so-and-so. I, oh yeah, so-and-so is my pastor. Oh yeah, that verse this and that verse that. No, this is a firm persuasion, living like God's word is true, and with such a strong conviction that it produces, it produces a uh, 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 activity and it produces a belief, not that I'm behaving in a way or modifying my behavior in a way that I'm just going through the motions, but I so strongly believe it that it is producing results in the outside. Amen. And so it says that uh, Aramean raiders, verse two, invaded the land and among them was, uh, they brought in a captive, a young girl who was given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up in our activity that we need an outsider's view, an outsider's perspective to help us see what we have gotten so accustomed to covering up. Sometimes we get into a position even as believers, as grown, uh, as we become mature, as we develop, as we grow in our walk with the Lord. But there are times where we need to posture ourselves in the position of a learner. You know, the word disciple means pupil. It means a student, one who is learning. And guess what, guys? We are lifelong learners. Regardless of what I've learned, regardless of how I've grown, regardless of how I've matured, uh, spiritually speaking, I have to continue to posture myself to say, is there something I don't yet know? See, when you come in here, depending on how long you've been walking with the Lord and going to church and attending church, and you might come in here, there's a sense of predictability when we come in here. We're going to sing three or four songs. It's going to take about this long. Uh, then Pastor Mark's going to preach. He's going to have some points. Then we're going to take up tithe and offering. We're going to close. There's some predictability, but we have to keep ourselves postured. Be intentional that when you come to church, I'm not coming here with any expectation other than I'm coming to learn and receive. Because there's two postures you can walk in with. You can walk in, here's what I know, or here's what I want to know. And I don't know about you, even when I'm studying and preparing for a message in my daily devotion, I don't ever want to just read the word based on what I already know. I want to read the word based on what I have yet to know, what I have yet to discover, what I have yet to find out. 
I had an a instructor at Bible school put it this way. If you're not asking questions, you're not growing. Not asking questions in doubt and unbelief, like, did God really do that or can he really heal? Or, no, I'm talking about posturing yourself as a student. Posturing yourself that, man, I don't know it all. This is full of revelation. This is full of life. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide between soul and spirit. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to help me see something I've never seen. Give me new revelation today. It could be the same old verse. It could be the the same. uh, This is why, you know, we talk about being a, a, a hearer of the word and desiring the word and putting the word in your own. Uh, daily practice, being in the word. Because the moment that we become unteachable, the moment that the Lord can't uh, deliver to us any new revelation, the moment that we posture ourselves that we hear a word or hear a scripture and say, oh, that again. Oh, that's such a dangerous position. That's not a heart that's ready to produce what it knows. That's not a heart that can actually practice what it preaches. And now we live a contradictory life. Now we live an image on the outside that's different than what we believe on the inside. And so, Naaman now has to, in essence, you know, being a commander of a great army, being a mighty man of valor, you know what? He's well-versed in giving commands. But now he's going to be tested in not how well he can give a command, but how well he can take a suggestion. Will will, Will my master go and see this prophet, this man? If this slave girl was never, and this is a slave girl, this is a girl that she's not given orders. She's there to follow orders. She's there to take orders. She's there to do what are the needs of this house. And now Naaman has to posture himself as a learner, a great man of valor, a man that's well accomplished, a man that uh, has actually, he, he has had such great victories that his own king has taken note. His own king has taken notice. But yet in all those accomplishments, your spirituality is not defined by how much has been deposited in your heart. Your spirituality is is defined by what you do with the deposit. Your spirituality is not in what I receive, it's in what I do with what I receive. We learned this a few weeks ago when we covered the, the three servants that the master had given three different measures of talent to. The talent wasn't what determined their value and their worth, it was what they did with the talent. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. And the five and the two and the one didn't determine the worth and the value, the greatness, the productivity, the effectiveness. No, it was what they did with it. The one with the five got the same uh, commendation from the master as the one with the two. The one with the two bringing back four didn't get any less of a commendation from the master than the one with the five who brought back back 10. No different, same level. Well done, good and faithful what? Servant. You've been faithful with little, now you'll be made ruler over much. We, We talked about this. 
And so the productivity isn't defined by what you've been given. It's not about what you've accomplished. It's not about what you've gained. It's not about what you have access to. It's about what you do with what you have. Naaman was used to giving orders, but now he would be tested in how he could, how well he could receive a suggestion. Verse 4 says, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Thank goodness he's following through with the suggestion, right? The recommendation. Verse 5, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, now watch this, carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. You know, obedience and obedience to God's word, real faith demands a significant amount of trust. And when we begin to wage this war of faith, if you will, the test of faith, faith being tested, what do you really have faith in? What do you really put your trust in? Here's what I know for a lot of believers. The moment uh, that you are challenged in your trust for God, you are going to have an alternative option show up that will say, do I believe in this? more than I believe in God. We've all through our lives accumulated things that have bailed us out, uh, things that we turn to when things get bad. Come on. But there are just some times in life, it's just going to require a full-on trust in God. Now, this doesn't mean that God won't use things. But the question is, am I trusting in God or am I trusting in the thing? Am I trusting in God to show me which avenue to take or am I trusting in my stuff? Naaman here has accumulated such wealth, such notoriety, such greatness, such prominence that really... He would rather rely on those things to get him healed than God to get him healed. It says that he's showing up with all these gifts, all this wealth. He would rather use his skill and his wealth rather than his faith. Now, again, you can't look at someone's life and say, oh, well, they, they went out and got a loan. Maybe God instructed them to get a loan. Oh, well, they're, they're, they're seeing a doctor. God instructed them to see a doctor. Let's go ahead and get rid of this idea that you, if you go to a doctor, you're not in faith. If you're taking medication, you're not in faith. Let's just get rid of that concept altogether. That's, that's garbage thinking, and people are dying saying they're in faith when they're not listening to God and saying, I told you to go see this doctor, and they would help straighten this out. I told you to get on that uh, medication. I told you to get on this and do this and go there. You got to hear from the Lord. When, I, when I'm ministering to someone that's sick, the, one of the first questions I'll ask them is, where's your faith? And then what's the Lord leading you to do? Because I'm not going to come into agreement with some outside idea. I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
But the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and he can tell you what to do. He can tell you who to see. We've created this perception in churches. You can't see therapists. You can't see doctors. You can't take medicine. You can't do this. You can't do that. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to, when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you know, I was talking with uh, Pastor Caleb just yesterday about this. And we're talking about how, you know, a a lot of pastors, uh, especially my age range, about 25 to 40, 45 therein, over the last 20 years, if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. And honestly, um, I'm guilty. I've made the statement. I wish I would have learned that in Bible school. They didn't teach me how to manage a budget. They didn't teach me how to handle code in city when you're doing construction. They didn't teach me how to do this. And do, but you know what they did teach me at my Bible school? They taught me how to rightly divide the word of truth. They taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit and move with him. They taught me how to be led by the inward witness, not by everything that's going on on the outside. And if you have those things, you can overcome any situation. And I don't need a math education or degree. I don't need a business degree. I don't need leadership teaching. Now, but here's the thing. God may use those things, but they don't replace. That's the issue. There's, there's knowledge that I've accumulated. I've, I've become well-versed uh, in different things. But at the end of the day, it was because the Holy Spirit directed me to, not because I said, well, I didn't learn enough over there, so I'm going to have to up the ante over here, and I'm going to have to do all this schooling. And No, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. But Pastor Darrell Huffman, y'all know Pastor Darrell real well, he handed off his church to his 42-year-old son in 2020. In January of 2020. Now, either Pastor Darrell is prophetic and said, this is a good time to get out of ministry. Or he was following the Holy Spirit. Now, he's pastored that church for 40 plus years. Been in ministry uh, for 47 years, I think, by that time. In 2020. You think he's ever had any trials? in ministry in 47 years? You think he's ever engaged uh, difficult times and what do we do here, what do we do there? And so, uh, he, you know, he, he would tell me, yeah, you know, my son, Josh, you know, uh, when this was all going on and we had shut our doors for, you know, however many weeks and that, what was that, April of that year, I think. Uh, yeah, it was April because Easter fell right in the middle of it. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, Josh came in my office one day. I was up at the church and uh, he came in my office and he said, Dad, I just... I've never been through anything like this. I mean, what am I supposed to do? You know, do we, do we open the doors? Do we not open the doors? How, how should we do this? How should we communicate with the church, all this stuff? And, and, and Pastor Darrell just, and I know he's serious. I know he's not joking. He just looked at him and said, ah, you'll figure it out. That was the answer. Nothing super spiritual, no word from heaven, and, and, you know, and, and you hear Josh Huffman's side of it. He says, well, thanks, Dad. That's awesome. All that wisdom of 47 years and all you can give me is you'll figure it out. But Pastor Darrell, you know, telling me, having this conversation with me and my wife about this, you know, he said, look, I, I may not have been through a pandemic. I may not have been through COVID. May not have been through actual, but I've been through difficulties in my life, son. I've, I've, I've in, uh, uh, engaged hard times, difficult times. Uh, th- this is not new. This, we, this might be a new trial and a new season for you, but it's not the first time someone's ever had to endure something difficult 
and I'm going to give you the same thing I had to do that you need to do. Just follow the Holy Spirit. And so many times we get caught up with our 750 pounds of silver and our 150 pounds of gold and our wealth and our accolades and our accomplishments. And God is saying, but how do I want to move in your life now? See, real discipleship is not uh, relying on your wealth until it runs out and then run into God. You may have the money in the bank to pay it off and God may say, I got another way. I want to show you another way. It's not just about knowing God's end result. You and God may be lined up on the end result. You want the same thing, but you may not want it the same way. And discipleship is not just about arriving at the same place. It's about taking the same path to arrive at the same place. Y'all with me? It's about the process, not just the result. It's about the journey just as much as it's about the destination. See, the rich young ruler approached Jesus. He wanted the same destination, but he did not want the same journey. Tell me, Lord, how can I in, uh, 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 how can I receive eternal life? Ultimately, we know we get to the command. He says what? Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, do you think Jesus wanted that young man to receive eternal life? Of course he did. Do you think that he wanted that young man to be a part of his mission and be a part of his goal? Absolutely. Why would he turn, or, turn away a rich, young ruler? I mean, that's every pastor's dream. He's rich, he's young, and he's got influence. <laughs> that's the cream of the crop right there. Why would you turn that away? Because Jesus knew this life that you're asking about, you're asking about where we end up, but you're not interested in how we get there. You're not interested in taking the steps with me because ultimately you're going to have to lay it all down. You're going to find yourself in a position just like the rest of the 12. When they ask for your head, you got to be willing to give it. When they ask to lay down your life. Guys, Jesus died for us so that we could die for him. Jesus did not die for us so that we could live to our own self-interests anymore. There's things we'll have to die to. Paul said what? I die daily. Daily I'm having to put down my way, my will. And some of us, uh, we're too far gone. The devil can't convince us not to pursue the end, the end goal, but he is talking us out of the process by relying on our 750 pounds of silver and our 150 pounds of gold. He's, de he's deceived us thinking I can follow my way and still end up in God's will. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And all of us have plenty of ways. And I've learned to go to God, even if I think I know the way, I will still submit it to his plan. I'm very careful about that. God, I'm pretty sure this is what you want to do, but I'm submitting it to your will anyways. 
I'm submitting it to your plan anyways. Because I don't just want to step out on this because it looks like it makes sense. I don't want to take this step just because it it goes with the majority or it goes with the, the popularity. or I, We're not going to do that. God, what is the will and what is the way you're showing me? What did Jesus say in the garden? Not my will, but your will. Well, you know what? If I'm buying into God's will, it means I must also buy into his way. If there's any other way, what? Let this cup pass. But what does he say? Not my will, but your will. By buying into his will, at the same time, he's buying into his way. Notice he didn't circle the conversation back around and say, okay, yeah, we, we, we both want the same thing. We want man redeemed. We want a kingdom restored. We want uh, these people brought back out of darkness into light. That, that I, but but, but I, I've got another way. Let me, let me just do it my way. And you know what? Jesus had another way. Because he can't make the statement, not my will, but yours be done. We don't know what that idea was. We don't know what plan he was thinking. We don't know what way he was willing to initiate. But apparently Jesus had another way. And this is the thing. True faith and true, I mean, if I asked you right now, what does great faith look like? I mean, just internally, you don't have to answer me, but just rhetorically, what what does great faith look like? If we looked at people in the Bible, we're probably thinking of people like Noah building an ark, Abraham taking his son up on the mountain, following the command that I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice, Isaac. Maybe it's Moses standing between the pharaohs and the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea. Maybe it's the water coming out of the rock. Maybe it's David charging and challenging Goliath. What is great faith? Is it Gideon with his 300 men? What does great faith look like? I would, I would give this to you that you wouldn't recognize great faith if it was standing right in front of you. I believe great faith comes in small steps. In every great faith moment, you'll find small steps of obedience. Great faith is the product of small steps of obedience. You know what? The life of discipleship, we said this last week, there's going to be the sensational moments, the glorious moments, the miraculous moments, the, the things that everybody writes about and the headlines and everybody's pursuing. And But I'm telling you right now, we are missing the real opportunities to demonstrate great faith to God because we're looking for something high and in the clouds. And daily he's asking of you, will you take this small step of obedience? Daily he's asking of us. And those are not the opportunities to come to God and try to impress him with all our wealth. All right, God, I'm gonna step out. Here's my 750 bags of silver and here's my... It's amazing the expense we'll go through to not demonstrate faith. He was willing to pay all that money 
He was willing to, he assigned, honestly, a, a much greater cost. You know what the, God didn't want his money. He wanted his heart. King Saul. God didn't want King Saul's sacrifice. What did the prophet Samuel say to King Saul? Isn't obedience much greater than sacrifice? And so while we're over here pointing to our sacrifice, but God, I brought you 750 pounds of silver. But God, look at all this gold. God, look at all my accomplishments. God, look at how much I'm giving up for you. And he's like, but the one thing I wanted, you're still holding on to. The one thing I've been asking for this whole time was you. You can never buy what only obedience can provide. And for, for, for some people, they, that may not be as much as you thought it was going to be. And for others, it may be more than you thought it was going to be. But never underestimate the simple acts of obedience. Never underestimate just the things that are unseen, the things that are unknown, the steps that nobody knew you took, the, the times when you laid that down and nobody had a clue you laid that down. It's not demonstrated. It's not for all the world to see. It's not going to be written about in history books and revivalist books, but watch what God will do with the small steps, acts of obedience. I've made the statement so many times that our most significant moments were insignificant in the moment. I mean, there's times I've looked at God and I said, God, I could have said no. There wasn't a booming voice from heaven. There wasn't an angel breaking through the clouds. It wasn't this waking me up in the middle of the night with visions and dreams. It was a simple response of, yeah, I'll do that. That now looking back would have altered my life. It would have altered destiny. Now, I thank God he's the redeemer of the time. I, this is not to receive condemnation or conviction. Oh, I've said no so many times when I should have. God can redeem those things. God can restore those things. But I'm telling you right now, you want to understand the weight of your yes, the weight of the small decisions. And I look at God and say, God, why did, why, why did you disguise it like that? Why did you dress it up so small? Why did you make it seem so menial and minuscule? Why was it so mundane that I could have been like, ah, I don't got time for that. Ah, I don't think I can do that. I could have easily have said no, and it would have altered everything. But these are the moments where God wants to see your greatest demonstration of yes. Your greatest, your greatest demonstration of believing in him, relying on him, trusting. I could have relied on my own ability. I could have trusted in my own uh, capacity. I could have only done that because I knew, and God was calling me to much, much more than that. Much, much more. You skip on down to verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, 
And he will learn that there is one true prophet. There is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went, look, with his horses and his chariots. We always go into God with our horses and our chariots. We're always going to God, I've served you this long. And he's like, and? But God, I haven't missed church in 18 months. But God, I went to church as soon as the doors opened back up. But God, I believe this. And God, I went to that revival. And God, I went to this conference. And God, I, I, I read these scriptures. We always come to God with our horses and our chairs. Like we're impressing him with that. The Bible says that even our, our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. God is not moving in your life because he's impressed with you. God is not responding to our detrimental situations because we brought enough bags of silver and gold with us. Because we have our entourage. Look at all that I've done. He's looking for simple acts of obedience. So Naaman goes with his horses and his chariots, and he waits at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha, sent a messenger out to him. Elisha sent a messenger. Who do you think you are just sending a messenger to the man, the mighty man of valor, the great victor with all his horses and all his chariots and all his uh, gold and all his silver and all his prominence and all his royalty. And you're going to send a messenger? And what does a messenger have? He has a word. A message, a messenger carries a message. And Naaman's about to find out that it actually took far less than he thought. Watch this. In verse 10, Elisha sends a messenger. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Now, a man of greatness, a man of prominence, a man that has accomplished much, a man with great skill and great wealth, bringing his bags of silver and his bags of gold and all his garments and all his entourage and all his chariots and his horses and his accolades and his accomplishments and don't you know who I am? What do you think he was wanting to receive in response? He's wanting to match, this is what I'm bringing, so what you're going to do ought to match what I'm bringing to you. And now the instruction is far below that. A messenger, not even the prophet himself, shows up. A messenger says, go and wash yourself in the dirtiest river around. Like you don't even need clean water for this. You don't even need the best rivers for this. But see, Naaman is stuck in a thought process. He's stuck in a, in a cycle of thinking that thinks greatness, 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 wealth. Wealth, skill, skill, great, great, great. And so he actually responds to this in verse 11. 
Naaman became angry and stalked away like a childish temper tantrum. I thought, everyone say I thought, he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. And I expected, everyone say I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Just like a modern day televangelist. I thought and I expected, I thought and I expected, I thought and I expected. Now, we tell you all the time, don't we? Have an expectation. If you don't expect anything, you don't get anything, right? But here's the problem is a lot of times we will allow our expectation to become our limitation. So now God has to meet my demands rather than me meeting his demands. I love all the parallels in this because this parallels perfectly with Martha and Mary when their brother Lazarus died. And they sent word to Jesus while he was what? Still sick. And Jesus loved Lazarus so much that he waited four days before he left. That's a, that's a great revelation of how much I love you, right? I love you so much, I ain't coming right now. I love you so much, we're hanging out. We're waiting. And of course, what? He eventually dies. Their expectation was what? If you come, lay hands on him while he's still alive, you can heal him. Because we've seen you do that multiple times. Jairus, with his daughter, did the same thing. He reached out to Jesus while his daughter was still alive. Come, hurry with me. She's at the point of death. She's near death. But I believe if you come, you can lay hands on her and she'll be healed. By the time they get to the house, what? She died. By the time Jesus made it to Lazarus, what? He died. And he had been dead four days. Their expectation was lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But I also, in contrast, love the man with the greatest faith that's ever been demonstrated in Israel. Jesus said what? I will come now and lay hands on him, your servant. And the centurion responds with what? No, 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 no. I got one better. How about one up in Jesus? You don't even have to come. Just say the word only. God's looking for some generals, for some people, for some believers that will say, I know you said you could do that, but I believe you could do this. Don't let your expectation become the box. Let him go past the expectation. He's a God of exceedingly, abundantly, above what? All we ask or think. I thought he would come out. Well, look, you didn't even need the prophet himself. You just needed a messenger of the prophet. Because the faith isn't in the prophet. Whether the messenger brings it or whether the prophet brings it, guess what your faith is in? The word, go and dip seven times in the river. 
I'm all about getting in the healing line, guys. I'm all about, we, I've been to plenty, healing revivals, healing services. I've been around prophets of God, evangelists, ministers of God that have a, a, a capacity and an anointing upon their lives to lay hands on the sick. And, but guess what? I can lay hands on my own body. My neighbor can do it. You can do it. And I love when I hear people say, you don't have to go to church with me and the pastor has to lay hands. I can pray with you right now in this cubicle in the middle, in the middle of Walmart. We'll get this sickness off your body right now. Don't wait till Sunday. Because what's healing them is the word, not the pastor. All have been commissioned to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So again, the question is, what is your faith in? What are you trusting in? What are you relying on? Is it your 750 pounds of gold and 150 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold? Is it your prominence? Is it your royalty? Is it your accolades and accomplishments? Is it the fact that you've got this great entourage and these chariots and horses? Is it the fact that if I get to the prophet, or is it just in the mere fact of God, whatever you command me to do, I'll obey and I'll do it. We want the same result, but are we willing to take the same path? Does God, do, does God have to meet our demands or are we willing to meet his? I expected him to wave his hand. Verse 12. He says, Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farpar, better than any of the rivers of Israel? That's what we do. God starts to show us a way and show us a plan, and what? We start coming up with better alternatives. But God, I'd really prefer it this way. God, I'd really like to do it that way. God, I'd really like to go see that person. God, I'd really like to... God is always, constantly with Naaman, having to contend with his way. His way of doing things. His way of being healed. His, he wants the same result, but he's not, he, he, he has too many demands. He's got too tight of an expectation that doesn't allow God to move in the situation. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Now, verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. You know, the amazing thing with Naaman in his life and his greatness, what does great faith look like? And all of his greatness and all of that he's acquired and all that he's accomplished and all that he's done and all that he's gained, he had gotten so used to doing great things that he had forgotten how to do the small things. Are God's commands and directions for your life beneath you? Is it beneath you to ask for forgiveness when the other person should be asking you for forgiveness? 
Come on. Is it beneath you to submit your pride? To sacrifice your will? Because it's, at the end of the day, guys, faith in God, trusting God, following God is not about doing it our way. It's not about God bowing down to our demands. It's about us meeting his demands. And there's just this constant tension. The more you grow and develop as a believer, the more you become stronger, the more you learn to overcome, the more you learn to conquer, there's this great tension that shows up that you start to actually rely on what you can do rather than what God can do. And we forget that it was him that parted the Red Sea. We forget that it was him that brought the water out of the rock. We forget that it was him that put the manna on the ground. We forget, and if he could do that, guess what? When I get to the edge of the promised land and I see giants and I see vast territory and I see walled cities, the same God that parted the sea can slay the giant. The same God that brought the water out of the rock can supply for me in this season. The same God that put the manna on the ground can break down these walls at at a shout. It's the same God. But it's amazing how this tension works, that the more I walk with God and the more that I see victories and the more that I overcome, the less I'm really relying on my faith. This is why, how many of you have ever come out of a test, you rejoiced, and the next test seemed bigger than the last one? That's how growth works, guys. You can ask my son, math in sixth grade is much harder than it was in fifth grade. That's how growth works. That's how discipleship works. But the same God that brought you through the last one, when that one seemed like it was the end of the world. I remember Camden told us in first grade, this is hard work. I bet you now it doesn't seem like that hard of work. But guess what? You're growing. The fact that God has you in a trial that is greater than the last is is a, a, it ought to be an indication you've developed that that trial is beyond you now. This is what I'm calling you to overcome. And just like the last one, it can't take you out. Use it as proof and evidence That couldn't stop me, and neither will the next one. What did David say? The Lord that was with me in the pasture that helped me slay the bear and the lion will surely help me take your head off today and feed your bodies to the fowl of the air. A bear and a lion, I mean, I don't know how they equate, but this is a really big guy that is trained for war. It's not just a big guy, guys. It's a big guy that is trained to slay people, trained in the ways of war. He's strategic. He's tactful. And, and, and not only that, you're bringing a sling to the battle. That's not a fair fight. But it's always a fair fight, unfair actually, to your advantage because you have the Lord on your side. And remember, David didn't rely and say, remember he put the armor on. He could have walked up with Saul's prominence, Saul's armor, 
Saul's royalty. So, and, and like that would, see, this is dangerous because if you try to go in your greatness and you see somebody else's greatness, then you try to overcome a, a, a battle with what they have rather than relying on what God is telling you to do. What did he say? I need you to get five, food, five smooth stones. Bring your sling along. That's why it's important to be led by the Spirit. That's why it's important to understand I'm relying on Him and however He tells me to overcome this thing. And there'll be plenty of people that will say, man, when I went through it, I had to do this. Good. I'm glad you listened for the Holy Spirit for your life. But He's leading me to do this. That's one thing I'm so grateful for with Pastor Earl and Pastor Marcy is, you know, we're an extension of the vision from St. Augustine, but he's never once put his ways and methods on us. Not once. He's actually, he's told me, you can't do it the way we did it. You can't stand for this or fight for that or believe for this the way that we had to do it because you will fail trying to be me. You'll always fail trying to do somebody else and follow God's commands for somebody else's life. You've got to do it the way God has called you to do it. He says, if it was a great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So how much more should you be able to obey in the small thing? The simple thing. Naaman wasn't having an issue with the command because it was difficult. He had, he had an issue with the command because it was different than what he thought, than what he expected. Worship team, if you come. Guys, many of us in our walk of discipleship and, and growing and, and developing our faith, strengthening our faith, the commands that you're getting, it's not that they're difficult. They're not hard. But it may be different than how you thought this was going to go. How you played this out in your mind. I mean, just for testimony, so I know I'm not just preaching to myself. Anybody, anybody been there? You had your idea and God was like, no, scratch that. Off the board, take it off. Yeah. I thought you were going to do it in this time frame. That seems to be the biggest one. I thought I would have had my miracle by now. We love giving God timelines. Just for a level of conviction, guys, a lot of times we'll do that and we'll put God on it. And we'll call it a walk of faith, but really we're only believing in our way of doing it. Believing God is not just simply believing God for the result. It's believing God in the process. It's believing God in the journey. The devil knows he can't convince you God doesn't heal but he will try to deceive you in how you'll receive your healing. The devil knows he can't convince you that your marriage won't one day be restored. You're too far gone for that. But he will try to deceive you in how it's going to be restored. A walk with God, there is nothing predictable about it other than your faith will need to be applied. 
But what you put your faith in, how it's developed along the way, how it's tested, how it's proven, tried, and true. Come on, I want a faith that can be trusted in. I want a faith that can be relied upon. I don't want to live with just a mere faith of what this world can do for me. And I thank God for the the measures that God will provide. I thank God for the ways that, that God will lead us to acquire, to use, to build, to store. God will use savings. Look at Joseph's life. Seven good years of saving up. But the faith wasn't in the savings. The faith was in the word, save up. Because there were famines that came to the land and a woman had to rely on a little bit of oil in her home. Another woman had to rely on the last cake that she and her son were gonna eat and die, she said. And instead, God said, let the prophet have it first. It's these moments, small steps of obedience. Simple acts that if we miss it, we'll think, ah, God must be asking me to do something far greater, far better. Real, real faith means I have to believe him for this. And God's saying, no, there's just this one little step. If we can do that, you'll see me move. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.